2: Hello, I'm Marie Eckeling, and you're listening to Sorry Partner.
3: Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with German champion Marie Egerling about the global community of bridge players, attracting new recruits to the game and phantom clubs. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? <laughs> Hi Catherine, I'm well. How are you? I am very well. I have a postscript for you from one of our conversations a few weeks ago. Oh, indeed. Yes, yes. So do you recall I was telling you that I was feeling very guilty about introducing my students to online bridge because I yes. knew it changed their lives for the better, but not always for the better as we all understand.
4: Yes. Yes tempting them over to the dark side,
3: tempting them over to the dark side. So first, I need to give you a little context, which is sadly, my students don't listen to the podcast. They all tell me they really want to, but they're all too busy. So this comes from somebody who has not listened to the show. Are you ready? I am. Okay, tell me what's the deal with online bridge? I, I have such a bone to pick with you. Go on. Online bridge, yeah, it's addicting. Yes. One oh, in the morning,
4: twelve. I I have to sleep. I have to work. I have a life. I cannot do this, <laughs> and it's your fault, <laughs> <laughs> Catherine.
3: <laughs> have you tried it, though? No, I haven't. Had okay. Time. Oh well. But after hearing that comment, baby, I do won't. Don't do it. Don't do it.
4: <laughs> it's horrible.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, really, it, it is the crack man.
4: cocaine of games. Uh
3: huh. Uh-huh. I know it. I know it. it. (laughs) So I was right. It seems that I have created a problem for my students. I have taken them over to the dark side. Well, at least to one to Diane, who is now addicted to the crack cocaine. (laughs) It is online bridge. I felt oddly vindicated, like I knew I was right. (laughs) You were right that you were going to destroy her life. You knew. Yes. Yes, I did.
4: You were not wrong.
3: (laughs) So you heard Shelley, one of my other students, saying she's not going to explore it further. And, of course, I'm not going to let her get away with that. I'm going to go in again pushing the online bridge because, you know, let's face it, if you're serious about the game, you kind of have to have that in your arsenal. But it was very funny and (laughs) I was not expecting it and it was so uncanny because we had just been discussing it. And then Diane comes (laughs) and she was so cross with me. Not really, but a little bit. Hi, everyone. Thanks
4: so much for listening. We are very grateful to all of our listener supporters, and we just wanted to get the word out about how easy it is to support the show. You just go to our website, sorrypartner.com, and you find the support the show button at the top and click on it. And you can see all the different benefits that come with your support. There's a sticker, (gasps) a sticker. There's... A shout out on social media.
3: There's mugs.
4: Mugs? Mugs are always good. You love your mug, don't you? I
3: love my mug. I've always got my mug. (laughs) You always have your sorry partner mug. I do. There's tote bags. Yeah. There's the newsletter. And the newsletter. Yes. Where you get the inside scoop. Yes. And there's Our Undying Gratitude last but not least last but not least because we really are dependent on our listener supporters and it it makes such a difference so thank you so much yes thank you a very full mailbag this week jocelyn oh good (laughs) our first letter is from georgina Georgina writes. In 2008, I attended the NABC in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit is separated by the Detroit River from the city of Windsor, Ontario, in Canada, and there's a tunnel between the two, the Detroit-Windsor Tunnel, which is about a mile long. A group of us had taken rooms at a nearby motel, and so we're driving to and from the tournament venue at the larger hotel. The hotel was on a major street that backed onto the Detroit River. Our driver mistakenly turned just before the venue driveway and we were in the tunnel with no turning back. After a little while, probably only a few hundred metres, we saw a sign saying that we were headed for Canada. Fortunately, (laughs) the US government had experience with unaware drivers such as ourselves and a turnaround appeared. I think the sign said that this was our last chance to stay in the US. We turned around (laughs) and reached the tournament venue on time. It wasn't a long detour, but it was almost an international one. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'm glad you got to the tournament on time, Georgina. That's very funny. I can just imagine the panic you must have all been feeling (laughs) when you get lost and suddenly it's not just that you're not where you want to be, but you've got to figure out how to get back. And this is 2008. So I don't know how good the the GPS was necessarily, but even if it was great, you know, you still suddenly... In another country, yeah, you're in another country.
4: You're you're in a tunnel. Your GPS might not be working in a tunnel. My God!
3: And then you have to turn around, and I'm sure that you, there was probably some immigration you had to pass through. So yes, if you'd made it through that tunnel, I expect you were going to be in Canada for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be that
4: would be a good way to stop obsessing about bridge for a few moments before a game.
3: <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. A little, a little panic.
4: Speaking of of worrying about being late, I was recently playing in a fast pairs event, which I happen to really love. And you get five minutes on a board. And so it's very, it's like, you know, speedball or something like that. Very, very fast. And my partner was late and I was having a complete panic attack.
3: What happened? Why was she late? She was getting some tea. (laughs)
4: yes no 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 yes but we did fine so it worked out we didn't get penalized
3: wow getting some tea that's (laughs) one casual partner very
1: yes
3: (laughs) I mean I don't know about you but I'm always there and ready and you know waiting and I'm not going anywhere well, especially when it's fast pairs
4: and you're going to get penalized and there's no reprieve if you don't finish a board in time. They yeah. just take it away from you and that's it.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm sure you were very nice about it, Dawson. which...
4: <laughs> Not especially, but she's used to me, so it didn't oh. really bother her.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, on the theme of being nice to one's partners, we have heard from Xavier in Santa Cruz, California. And Xavier has picked up on the theme of shamazzles or <laughs> however you want to say it. He writes, last July I brought a friend to the Santa Cruz Bridge Centre where he plays. It was our first time playing together in person and he was relatively new to the game. I wanted it to be a fun experience for him. A few rounds in we sat against the strongest pair in the room. Sitting east as dealer and vulnerable to their non-vulnerable, the bidding went pass, 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 one spade by the opponents, One no Trump by the responder, and then my partner said two no Trump, and the opener doubled. I guessed correctly that partner's two no Trump bid was showing the minors, but I held 5-5 in the majors with a doubleton club to the queen. After a long pause where I considered passing to let partner deal with the difficult situation he created on his own, I bid three clubs. This was doubled gleefully by South. And passed out. Sure enough, my partner came down with seven high card points and only four club support. He was a 2254 shape. And we were down six for a cool 1700. Oh, yikes. Yikes, indeed. After the hand, which ended the round for lunch, one of our opponents, who just happened to be the strongest player at the centre, took the opportunity to commend me for not losing my cool. Very nice. He said, Xavier, I am so impressed with you for not lashing out at your partner. The funny thing was, though, that my partner was standing right next to me. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know whether he didn't see him or was subtly sending him a message too. Either way, my partner and I had a good laugh about it afterwards. Having instigated many a schmozzle myself, I've learned it's best <laughs> to smile, take the beating, and move on to the next hand. All the more so if you hope for your partner to play with you again. <laughs> yeah, oi, oi, nice. oi, vei. Still, I, I think your partner's very lucky to have such a such a considerate partner because we all know that they're not always.
4: It's hard. It's really hard. (laughs) It's
3: it's hard to keep you cool. It's hard to be nice. (laughs) It's hard to be nice. That's so funny. You've made a couple of references to that lately, Jocelyn. I always find you very nice to play with you know, it's just, it is so hard. And, you know, I find myself sometimes like thinking, what are you doing partner? And then within the same breath, I suddenly realize partners made some genius move. And then I, have, <laughs> then I process like all this stuff we heard on the show about partner has a positive intent and they, they're not an idiot and they know what they're doing. And la, 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 la. And it's just like this little absolute frenzy of rationalization that goes on, goes on for me. Yeah. I think it's just so hard because it's such an emotional game. You know, you've got so much invested in it. You have, you have to be constantly thinking about what would I do? Why did I do this or not do this? Or why did they do this and not do this? And it's just, yeah, it's very hard to always put on our, our game face, but I think (laughs) you did very well. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that very much, Xavier. Yes. Thank you, Xavier. Our next letter is from Sarah in New York City. When I first started playing, my partner was Declarer, and after the opponents led, I just played a card from my hand. <laughs> dummy! <laughs> yeah. We played three or four more rounds, and the ops finally realized I hadn't put the dummy down and called the director. <laughs> I was so embarrassed and thought I'd caused a huge penalty to our side. They told the director what had happened, and he told me to put my hand down. When the opponent said, Well, what is the penalty? He said, No penalty. Everyone is responsible for the dummy. Yes. So that's a very good reminder. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone is responsible for the dummy. So. Huh. Huh. No dummy. Yeah. On the theme of both dummies and gloating. Ah. Another favorite topic. We've heard from Diane on the New South Wales central coast, and that is north of Sydney in Australia. Hi, Jocelyn and Catherine. Just want to say I love your podcast. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, Diane. Yeah, thanks, Diane. That's really sweet. The episode a few months ago about gloating generated some discussion with one of my partners, and we now make a point of not congratulating each other. <laughs> but we always congratulate the opposition when they make their contract. Huh, that's very nice. Very that's nice. Very nice. Mm. Speaking of nice. Speaking of nice. Nice. I have a funny story. A couple of years ago with a different partner, we were within about three cards of finishing a duplicate board when suddenly my partner stopped and said, Who is Dummy? (laughs) We all looked at each other and there was Dummy quietly holding his three remaining cards. (laughs) He'd never laid down his hand and none of us had noticed until that point. My partner and I had each had about 16 years' experience and felt very embarrassed that we hadn't noticed. Shh, don't call the director, we said, while giggling hysterically. (laughs) I thought you were going to say they had each had
4: 16 cocktails.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that may well account for it. Well, Diane, if that was the reason why, please let us know.
4: So if you have any funny stories about the dummy not really appearing as expected, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or you can send it to us on Instagram or you can leave us a voice message. And these links are all in the show notes and also on our website at sorrypartner.com along with some other good stuff.
3: Coming up next, our interview with Marie Egeling.
4: German champion Marie Egeling won gold in the pairs at the 2014 European Championships, gold at the 2016 European University Games, bronze in the mixed, and silver in the women's pairs at the 2022 World Championships. She has also won three German championships. She is an academic psychologist, who has been teaching bridge for some years and has developed a course on ethics, bridge and psychology. Since 2020, she has also been the president of the German Bridge Federation. She has a particular passion for getting more people to play bridge and to change the image of bridge. We began by asking about her earliest memory of the game.
2: I started playing bridge when I was 11 years old, so I was really young. And my earliest memory I think, is sitting in this junior bridge afternoon and having no idea what to do. Because I just, I joined a group of kids that had learned bridge in school. And I didn't have any lessons. I just joined them because my mother had some, had read something about this in the newspaper. And she thought, Ah, oh, Marie, she likes to play cards. So maybe she could have a look and join. I did that. And of course, I had no idea. I had played some other card games, so I knew what Trump was and what the suits meant. Which games had you played? Um Just children games, like it's called Mamau or Romy. Nothing too serious. <laughs> yeah, so I just joined and I understood the game, but I didn't understand anything about the bidding. So I was sitting there and always asking the teacher, what do I do now? What do I bid? And it took some time before I had an idea what bidding was even about.
4: Were the other students the same age and at the same level, or were they already knew something about the bidding?
2: Oh, they had some lessons at their school. So it was a workshop at their school and they had some previous knowledge. And I didn't, but they didn't know too much either. And they were the same age, yeah. Did you know these kids from school? No, it wasn't my school. I was at a different school, but this was the only school in my hometown that actually had bridge lessons. There was one teacher who isn't alive anymore, unfortunately, but he did a lot in my hometown teaching bridge at that school.
3: And how did you go from that particular group of kids to becoming interested in the game yourself and then playing competitively?
2: So this bridge teacher, he was really helping children to play more. So he took us to the evening club sessions and he also took us to some regional tournaments and then some German championships. Of course, in the beginning, my results were really crappy, but I got to know other people. I got to know other children my age. And I think something really important was taking part in the German bridge camp which was originally a junior camp. Nowadays, it's open for juniors and for older people too. But that was a really good environment to learn and to get to know more people my age. And then a little bit later, I also joined the junior squad and was allowed to go to European junior championships. What was it like when you went to your first club game? Well, in the beginning, I was really bad, but of course. <laughs> but over a few months, I got better and people wanted to play with me. I remember that because I was the only one of the only kids who was playing. But the people in my club were really nice and they liked that kids were playing and everybody wanted to play with us. So, yeah, I remember a very nice environment. And at what point did you feel that you were? getting the hang of it, and actually good at it? Not in the club, but a few (laughs) years later. So after I had played championships and after I had failed a couple of occasions. You were playing championships and you didn't still realize that you were good? No, I don't think I was. I think I needed a few years to get experience. I think when I was about 15, 16. For the first time, I thought, okay, now I do understand what's going on at the table. I mean, of course, I had good results before and I did some things right, but it was a different feeling than, yeah, really understanding what is going on.
4: Can you describe what that feeling was like going from getting good results, playing at high levels to understanding what was going on?
2: So a lot of difference was because I started to really count the cards, I think. I read one book, How to Count Your Opponent's Cards, or something like that, by Mike Lawrence. How to Read. How to Read Your Opponent's Cards, yeah, exactly. It's called Mit Glaskarten in German. And that really made a difference at that point, I think. It was a really good book if you read it at the right point of time. And I really started to count all the points and to draw conclusions from the bidding and things like that. I mean, it's something you need to get used to in the beginning, of course, but after some time it really pays off and that gave me much more control at the table, I think.
4: Funny how it always comes down to that.
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) not too unusual, I think, yeah.
4: Do you have any tips for people who have, let's say, I find it challenging to keep that concentration around counting out the points and the
2: distribution. And I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So I teach PRIT too. And I always tell my students that they need to focus on small things in the beginning, because... Some people think they have to remember everything at once, right? And of course, it would be best if you remember every card and every bit and all the distributions. But that's not possible in the beginning for most people. So I say they should focus on one or two things. For example, count the points or focus on the honors or focus on the distribution in one suit. And um, when they plan the play, for example, as the declarer, you need to plan the play. When the dummy comes down, they should try to think about one or two things and focus on those things during the play. And when they get used to that, maybe focus on one more thing. (laughs) So take it slowly, but challenge yourself. Thank
3: you. Thinking back to that first club game, I'm really interested to hear more about the actual experience. Do you remember going to your first club game? Where was it? What did it look like? Do you remember any of your feelings before
2: you even started to play? So I remember going to club games, maybe not the very first one, but I remember that I wanted to play as much as possible when I was like 12, 13 years old. That must have been. So it was a club in Braunschweig, was my hometown. It's in the north of Germany. And we always had like something between five and ten tables playing. There was a game in the afternoon and a game in the evening and a few times a week. So I played as much as possible, sometimes like three club tournaments a week. And I just liked to play bridge, I think. It didn't really matter who was or who against. At this point, I just wanted to play. Was this the
4: the main club in your town in Brunchberg or were there
2: other clubs with different schedules? Um, there were two more clubs, but I think our club was the one who played most. They had most games going on for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favourite tournament that you like to play? So I really like the bridge camp in Germany. It's on the Burg Rinek, It's a scout castle and it takes place every summer for like 10 days. It's not really one tournament, but consists of many tournaments, two tournaments a day normally. But it's really a place where many nice people come and you play a bridge just for fun. Which is also a possibility to try out some things, if you know what I mean. And I also really like the bridge festivals in Madeira and in Austria, Mautan. What do you like about them? I really like that they are a combination of bridge and holiday and in a nice environment. So you go there and you have a really nice surroundings. In Madeira, you have the sea and good food and you can go hiking. And in Austria, basically the same. Yeah, so it's a nice combination. Of course, I also like to play European and world championships, but yeah, it's a different, that is more for the bridge and the other things are more a combination of bridge and holiday. And I really like to do both.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Did you say that the camp was
4: in a scout's castle? What is that? What's a scout's castle?
2: So it's a castle, which is not a castle anymore, but it's used as a youth hostel. And scouts go there to have events or camps. Do you mean like Boy Scouts? Yeah. Got it. Exactly. And other groups too, so... Sometimes classes go there for school trips. and But it's, it's a medieval castle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the top of a hill? That's right. Yes. <sighs> Fabulous. Yes. So it's a really nice environment and great people come there. And yeah, you can play bridge or other games all day and night. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened when you were playing bridge? One funny thing that happened to my team this year in Madeira in the European Championships, maybe it wasn't so funny at this point, but it was really funny afterwards. We played a really important match on the last day against France, who later won the tournament. Um, and it was an important match for us because we could still win a medal. We didn't in the end, but if we had won this match high enough there. Would have been a chance. So we were playing on the BBO in a special room, not with all the other tables, but with only like five other Viewcraft tables. And after like half of the match, there were suddenly people screaming in this Viewcraft room. And we didn't know what was happening. We were waiting, not playing the next board because we wanted to know what was going on. And later it turned out that there was a bee or some kind of other insect which was biting players on the other table including our teammate unfortunately (laughs) so yeah what was happening was we had to stop the match we had to wait like half an hour which was really strange like during a serious match in a european championship there was like half an hour break and at some point we continued the match at another table in a different room. So, yeah, a beer tech in a European championship. It wasn't so fun for our teammates at this point, but I think afterwards you can laugh about this kind of thing.
4: (laughs) That might take a while before the humor really becomes apparent.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Is there a hot button issue about bridge that is really important to you, something that's on your mind at the moment?
2: Definitely getting more young people to play bridge. So as you know, I'm also the president of the German Federation and I would really like to get more people to play bridge overall, but especially young people. So right now we have a project in Germany, which will start in October, where we try to get young people between like eight and 14 years to participate in online bridge lessons. And we hope to change the image of bridge in younger generations, because like in many countries, membership numbers are decreasing and the age average is really high. So I would love to change that at least a little bit and to get more young people to try out bridge.
3: How do you reach out to the kids? How do you recruit students to these classes
2: so we emailed all the clubs in Germany and we hope that many of them are sending the message to their members and some people I know they really went into schools and said here there are bridge lessons available I'm playing bridge too would you maybe like to join uh, and we also have a flyer which is distributed in schools or in other places where many young people go. Yeah, we will see if it works or not. <laughs> that sounds like a great
4: program. What do you love most about Bridge?
2: So, definitely, I love the fact that it never gets boring and you always have more challenges. You never stop learning. And also, the fact that you meet so many great people from different places all over the world, different backgrounds and ages, and still you always have something in common. For example, I traveled in New Zealand for some time. And because of bridge, I was able to meet many people from New Zealand just by going to a club or going to tournaments. That was really a great opportunity. And I think it's possible in many places all over the world. Have you had an experience where someone that you've met in a different country has come to Germany and you've been able to play with them there or maybe met up with them somewhere else? Well, many people who I met in New Zealand or in other places, I met again at European World Championships at some point. I think not really the other way around, but of course British people keep visiting each other. And when I have had both situations, like I went to different countries and met people there and also I had people who were, for example, studying in Germany for some time and introduced them to the British life here.
3: So do you find, say, when you go to a tournament in another country, it does feel a little like a reunion?
2: Yes, absolutely, yeah. Especially with the people who I played against in my junior time. So many people who were juniors when I was a junior, do now play in women's mixed or open teams. And it's really nice to meet them again in those championships. And for example, with Sarah Bell uh, from England, she was a junior my age. uh, We played the World Women's Championship in Poland a month ago and we became second. So yeah, they're really nice opportunities to meet the people again.
4: So what would Sarah Bell or one of your other regular partners say is a strength that you bring to your game?
2: I think they would say that I'm able to stay calm and have a good bridge psychology, to put it that way. Like Think like focus on the next board, even if something bad happens, and be nice to your partner. and. Also, probably they would say that I do most things normal. So, of course, I could try to play creatively if I wanted to, but most of the time I just try to play normal, do the normal things so my partners know what they can expect when I do something. Yeah, I think something like that. What
4: might they say is an area that's less strong in your game?
2: Of course, I do mistakes (laughs) like everybody does. Mm, I mean, with my regular partner, Paul, who I play in the mix, we try to find out about our mistakes, actually. And I find it hard to say I'm really bad in this because then I would try to work on it. For example, in Madeira, we saw that our defense was really not that good. So both of us made some defense things that we need to work on. Mm, so we do that now. When you go through
3: the boards together, do you have an understanding, either explicit or implicit, about how you do it? And what I mean is, do you take turns? Do you Have you talked about, I like it when you give me this kind of feedback, or I don't like it when you give me that kind of feedback? Is there a way that you talk about the boards together?
2: So there definitely is, but I think it's more implicit. because. Paul and I, we know each other for a long time. We've played in junior teams together and basically grown up together bridge-wise. So yeah, we really know what to expect of each other and how to do the partnership thing. But I would definitely recommend others to discuss these things if they start a new partnership. So when I start a new partnership, I want to know what my partner expects of me and how to talk about mistakes, these kind of things. With Paul, I mean, we just go through all the boards and some of them we discuss more intensely. Others, we don't discuss at all. It really depends. We just go through our thoughts and try to understand what the other person thought in a particular situation, if it's interesting to talk about that. And of course, if something went bad, we discuss if it was just an accident or yeah. if it's something we need to talk about to do better next time.
3: But in terms of the implicit understanding that you have about how you each like to talk about the boards, if you had to make it explicit, what would you say? you, you like it when he, he explains something in this way or you prefer if he doesn't do that and vice versa?
2: I think we are really direct with each other so we just say what we think it's not a problem because we are also really good friends Uh, with others we would maybe try to not hurt the other person or something like that but it's not a problem between us and still we try to stay constructive of course so it's always this mistake happened it doesn't it's never about blaming someone it's just about finding out while the problem was to be able to do it better next time. Yeah. So be honest and direct, but constructive, I would say.
4: What do you like best about playing with Powell?
2: I really like the fact that we get along and in bridge and outside of bridge. So we are really good friends and we just feel comfortable playing with each other. It's really important in a bridge partnership, I think, or at least it's a great advantage if you have that. So when we go to a tournament, it's not only the bridge part I like, but also the socializing part. I really feel like we are a partnership at the table and also outside of the table. And I like the fact that he stays really calm. It's never too emotional. He doesn't get angry with me or something like that so we just try to stay calm focus on the next board and just play bridge
3: do you ever get nervous or feel intimidated when you're playing bridge
2: well sure yes I mean if we have an important match I feel nervous before but it's not that bad anymore when I sit at the table so yeah I mean, I think it's normal and maybe it's also kind of good because it shows that you care. But as soon as I sit on the table and have cards in my hand, it's fine. And intimidated, I wouldn't say. So no, at least not if I play in a partnership, I feel comfortable. So it they, they wouldn't matter who sat down at the
3: table. You, you're always, your heart rate does not go up.
2: No, not uh, depending on the person I... I don't like when the the mood at the table is bad. So, if an opponent behaves badly, or I feel like they think I'm stupid, or something like that, then I wouldn't say intimidated, but it just distracts me from playing the game, and I don't like that. So I have need, or I like to have a nice atmosphere at the table, and maybe it's more important to me than to other people. I would. I know that when you're not
3: playing bridge, you, you work as an academic psychologist. What are some of the things that you notice in a more analytical way when you're playing bridge, when you maybe slip into your psychologist role rather than your bridge playing role?
2: I mean, I always try to be a, a good bridge player in a psychological way. For example, in the partnership, I think partnership is a basis of playing bridge, right? So I try to be a good partner. I think forming a good partnership has a lot of psychological issues, which doesn't mean you have to be a psychologist to form a good partnership or to know how to do that, but it doesn't do any harm.
4: (laughs) Are there other ways in which you bring your knowledge and expertise in psychology to bear At the table?
2: Certainly, I do analyze my opponent's behavior, of course. And maybe something from being a psychologist helps with that. But I would not say that I can analyze people better when I play bridge with them than in other situations. (laughs) Certainly, it brings out some characteristics, or it can if you're playing bridge. So, it can bring out some characteristics when you watch people playing bridge for sure. Some people show bad behavior only at the bridge table, but not anywhere else and um Why do you think that people would only
4: show a bad a bad trade at the table and nowhere else?
2: Well, I think at the table, you are in a really high pressure situation, at least if you take bridge seriously and if you want to win. You are under high pressure. This is just a fact. And being under pressure can bring out some characteristics you would normally not show if you're in a more controlled situation. This can come out in a good way or in a bad way. Positive and negative emotions are definitely a part of bridge. And the way you show them or do not show them has an influence on your partnership, your results, and the way others perceive you as a bridge player.
3: Do you thrive when you're feeling very excited and have a lot of adrenaline about a game? Or do you thrive when you're feeling very chill and maybe you've meditated and you're very relaxed about a game?
2: I guess something in between. Some Mm. adrenaline is good for concentration and... It's just normal to be excited about a serious match or a match you care about, I think, or maybe just winning a difficult contract. But if it's too much, then it can also influence concentration in a bad way. So yeah, I would say medium level of adrenaline and excitement is good.
4: If you could assemble your dream team, living or dead, fictional character, historical, who would you choose?
2: Well, choosing a whole team is actually a lot. I have thought about this question before, and I thought I would like to meet the authors of the book Adventures in Cardplay, because this book is like the craziest French book you can find, and the problems in there are just... Well, amazing on the one hand, but also kind of s- scary to <laughs> know that somebody actually thought about them, I think. So somebody at one point said that Adventures and Cardplay is the best bridge book, but also the only bridge book that makes your bridge worse. <laughs> and the authors, Geza Atlik and Jürgen Kelsey are definitely people that would be interesting to meet or play against, just maybe in a friendly match or something.
4: So that's a dream team so far of you and the two authors of Adventures in Card Play. Now you need another.
2: I could play with Paul, my regular partner. Okay, there you go. There's your dream team.
3: <laughs> What's the most memorable place that you've ever played, Bridge?
2: Yes, good question. Of course, I played bridge in many places, like on trains, on planes, in the camper in New Zealand, in the Olympic village in Beijing in 2008. Um, I think the funniest place I played bridge in was a toilet in this (laughs) scouts castle. Actually, the Burg the place where the German bridge camp takes place, we had a tournament where we played every round in a different place, like on top of the tower or in the dungeon, places like that. And one round we played in a toilet in the bathroom of one of the rooms. <laughs> Did they have a table set up and everything? Yep. Uh. Yep. <laughs> How convenient. Not very much, yeah, but it was only two bots. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. How many people were in that competition? Basically, how many people had to end up playing in the bathroom? I think every pair had to play in every place. That is the aim of the tournament, to play in many different places. And so maybe like 26 pairs or something. (laughs) 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 But only two boards.
3: Yeah. Yeah, luckily.
4: Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you really love to play?
2: Not so much a convention, but uh, I started to play this funny system last year, which is called Phantom Club. Phantom Club means basically that when you are opening, you pretend that the opponent in front of you has opened one club, right? So every call is like an overcall of one club, like one heart means I would have overcalled one heart over one club. It's like nine to 17 points and at least five hearts. And the one club opening means that you have a takeout double against one club. So it's either short in clubs and prepared to play in all other suits, or any strong hand. So this is basically the idea of Phantom Club. And it's really fun to play. I played it with my boyfriend, and yeah, it's just nice to do something different.: And what happens
4: when the opponent on your right has opened one club?
2: Oh, if he has actually opened one club, then we play system on, of course. Okay. Then it's just (laughs) the same. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But if he passes, we pretend that he has opened one club. Yeah. (laughs) I love that.
4: (laughs) Is there a convention that you really think is a complete waste of time that you don't want to ever play?
2: So I'm really not a big fan of any specific two-suita conventions that involve bidding another suit to show a 2 suter in two others. So like Geestem bidding three clubs to show a 2 suter in the majors or something. I would not necessarily say that it is a waste of time, but it is a waste of energy maybe. And I have seen so many misunderstandings with specific to Suta conventions. I feel like in so many cases, one of the partners forgets the convention and then something terrible happens. (laughs) I stopped playing them a long time ago and I would recommend everybody to do the same. If they are not very, very sure, they will never forget it. So I stick was just bidding some 2 suitors naturally and not being able to show every specific two-suitor.
3: What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given?
2: I think one of the most important bridge tips I was given was about defense. That as a defender, you should always think about what the plan, maybe, and how to avoid declarer reaching his goals. I try to put myself into declarer's position, of course, including the dummy I look at and uh, what I know about declarer's hand, and then try to understand his plan and think about what, as a declarer, I would like to not see in defense. So if I think... A Trump player would really be nasty. Then as a defender, I should maybe play a Trump and so on, depending on the situation. Marie, thank you so much for
3: joining us today. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much. It's been terrific.
2: Thank you so much, too. It was really nice to discuss those questions with you and have a nice evening. And that's the show.
3: Many thanks to our guest, Marie Ergeling.
4: Thank you also to our Sorry Partner posse of listener supporters who make the show possible.
3: Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments
4: to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well.
3: May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Marie says, think about Declara's plan, then do your best to foil it. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner.
4: Bye. (laughs) Bye.